0: Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you're listening today and we've got a special show for you. First of all, we're coming to you by tape. So while we're normally a call in show, don't try to call in today. Uh, Next week, perhaps, we can try this again. Uh, Let's see. We are fortunate today to have a friend of mine, Tim Hartman, Dr. Tim Hartman, who is assistant professor and extension fruit specialist with Texas AgriLife Extension. Tim, welcome. Glad to have you.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, it's always a good good opportunity to pick your brain. Folks, this guy, he knows more about fruit, or he's forgotten more about fruit than I know. So we're, <laughs> we're going that, to but... take advantage of that here today. Uh, so Tim, we, uh, I thought this would be a good time to talk about really all things fruit. Uh, we'll, I hope to pick your brain on some of the fruits that maybe aren't so f- common or familiar to folks. Uh, and uh, maybe get some tips on getting through this incredible heat and drought again. And so why don't I just turn it loose for you to talk a little bit about, talk to folks that have some fruit trees in the yard, what are some things they can do to help, um, you know, just any kind of advice you can give for this blazing, hot, dry time of the year.
1: Yeah, it is definitely definitely a rough time out there right now, horticulturally speaking, and Tough for humans too to be out there. I was out, yes. out uh, in the field all morning. Actually, at our research plot down in the Brazos River bottom. But yeah, right now, I mean, we're just trying to keep our stuff alive, yeah. um, especially here in the Brazos Valley with these temperatures. Um, so, of course, just a few tips I would give is just make sure you're watering, not overwatering, especially with a clay soil. It's mm-hmm. really easy this time of year to actually overwater. Um, Phytophthora root rot is really common when it's hot, trees are stressed. Uh, and so really what you wanna do is try to you know water deeply and do that out near the drip line, not against the trunk. When mm-hmm. you water right against the trunk, um, that's when you're, you're gonna have problems. And I, I do wanna offer a caveat and that is, of course, if you have a tree that you just planted this spring, you gotta remember that it's still gonna have roots that are confined to that small area. But we're yeah. talking on larger trees, yeah, you want to water, get it out near the drip line where those fine feeder roots are going to be.
0: So on a tree that was planted, well, it would be fortunate if they are planted last fall right. to, in terms of the time they have to get some roots down. Uh, but let's say in the winter or spring, uh, I would think we might even be looking at maybe every other day on a very small amount, just taking care of the the root ball and maybe a little bit of the soil around it uh just or is that too much do you think twice a week by
1: now is okay or i would think twice a week probably especially if you've got some mulch there of course it it obviously it varies um if you're on sand you're gonna have to water more frequently but i know i put in some peaches about a dozen out in western razzis county where i live on three feet of uh sand and i'm just watering those twice a week now and they're they're putting on new growth.
0: Good. Okay, good. Well, it's huge to keep the weeds away, too. And the St. Augustine yes. is a weed yes. when it Yes, turf to... is
1: a weed. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Thank yeah. you.
0: So I, I, I usually tell people, let's mulch it all the way out to the outer branch spread. Aesthetically, in a landscape, that's not always acceptable to people. But if you ask the tree, it would say absolutely, uh-huh. if not more, yes. right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> to give that mulch. To Especially on
1: a young end. tree, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I've mentioned this on the air before. I'm kind of wandering off the topic here, but uh, it is fruit and nuts, so we'll we'll keep going. <laughs> uh, years ago, there was a pecan orchard planted, and that half the it was a Bermuda field, and half of it they they completely killed the Bermuda. The other half they left it and kept it mowed, and they planted pecan trees. And five years later, I think it was Dr. McEachern probably took a picture, uh-huh. and it, the difference. Between a pecan tree growing with no competition and a pecan tree growing competing with Bermuda Bermuda grass, it was like three times I difference in five imagine. years. I mean, yeah. it was it was huge. Yeah. And I wish I had that picture now because I could show it to people and uh-huh. say, "This is why forest floor environment all around that tree." You know, yeah. get, get some compost and
1: perfect. Yeah, perfect teaching tool. Yeah, Absolutely, it is.
0: A picture is worth a thousand words. Uh-huh. Well, you mentioned not overwatering, and it, you know, people think about well, if if it's so hot, I just have to water, water, water. But what we we're really trying to do is keep the soil moist because when you put roots in an anaerobic situation and the demands are through the roof and the roots can't respire, I mean, that's you can kill a plant faster by, that way than oh, just yeah. faster than by drought. Yes. You know. Yeah. So don't don't overdo it. Yes, that's good advice. That is real good advice. And our fruit trees, the the spring blooming uh, fruit trees that we have, they're setting their fruit buds last month and this month, primarily, I think, is what you were telling me uh, for next year, right?
1: Yeah, especially stone fruit. um it, it kind of varies with some of the other the other crops. Of course, we have things like strawberries, for example, that are a little bit different figs yeah. that can produce on on new wood new and growth. everything. But yeah, most of them produce on this year's growth mm-hmm. so in other words what you see growing right now this year making new growth with 20, with in 2023 mm-hmm. with new growth leaves on it that will make your fruit in 2024 um and so yeah i know for peaches usually we say july august maybe a little bit into early september mm-hmm. but really july and august yeah so and and really that's a, a i'm glad you mentioned that because uh, going back to watering you know you think about doubles or blind nodes where we don't have uh, good active mm-hmm. buds, uh, viable buds on peaches.
0: You're talking about a branch that there's leaves here, and then there's a space, and then there's some leaves?
1: Yeah, or or in the wintertime when it comes to pruning, you may have had leaves all along there, but you oh. won't have buds actually there. I see. And that's actually a problem we see uh, due to heat, but also uh, water stress. Okay. So, yeah
0: and and i know on some varieties like i believe like june gold tends to have a tip and i think the tips may be more a little more prominent when they go through trouble like this yes uh, on some varieties yeah
1: yeah they tend to be really ap- epically dominant okay so another reason especially as you're getting that growth right now you want it to be you know you want the tree to be as happy as possible yeah um because again you're making those flower buds for next year
0: well, I know a lot of people that have peach trees around here are looking out the window and seeing something that is not growing. The leaves are kind of chartreuse colored rather than healthy green and there's no fresh new growth and they're really struggling along. Mm-hmm. So Well that's good advice. Uh you know the the when you think about the most I guess familiar common fruit, we think about things like peaches and plums and apples and pears. You uh-huh. know, those are kinda uh for us the real the real big deals. Uh, I've kind of given up on apples <laughs> for this area. I know we have varieties that will grow. We have varieties that will produce some. Uh, but it just seems like we've stretched the apples so far south that our options are way more limited than they would be much farther north in Texas uh, than here.
1: Yeah, you've, you've got the chilling issue, and then but we just have a lot of disease issues too. Of course, people want to point out you know, and root rot, but not mm-hmm. all. Areas in Texas have cotton root rot. Right. You know, East Texas, obviously,
0: we have oak root rot in East Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
1: true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, armillaria is going to be a problem anywhere. Um, but uh, you know, really, it, in my opinion, it's more the disease issue. You mm-hmm. know, bacterial, fungal canker, and then you've got uh, bitter rot is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Bitter rot. This, if you're not familiar, that's kind of like your brown rot on peach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that. Big of a problem, and just something you have to yeah. spray for. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a challenge to grow apples and even peaches organically, uh, just yeah. because the arsenal is very limited in your options, and so you have to go after it. Uh, well. I'd like to hear a little bit about some of the research you guys are doing. I've been excited over the last couple, two or three years, just hearing about all the the kinds of fruit that you're really taking a deep dive into to find out will they grow here? If so, are there some new varieties we need to be looking at? And I think one of them is apricots. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with apricots?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> no, so.
0: you're a you're a brave vanguard out there. Well, they
1: always say there's a fine <laughs> line between bravery and something else, but sometimes I feel like <laughs> I tread it. But anyway, yeah, I like working with you know, kind of uh, pushing the envelope and you know, trying to test some of these new prospective fruit crops. But mm-hmm. so apricot, yeah, that's something that we're really doing a lot of work with. Um, And apricot is a crop that historically has not done very well for us. Mm -hmm. We can grow the trees, but they just fail to produce a crop uh, consistently. So you may get a good crop, you know, one year, and then you may go, you know, five, ten years before you have another bumper crop with light crops in between and Mm -hmm. even some years where you have zero fruit. And is
0: that a chilling thing or what's been the problem traditionally with the standard apricots?
1: So, based on the scientific literature, it seems like it's more bud hardiness. Um, And so, those buds, anywhere from early swell, going from dormancy uh, all the way up until bloom, and even shortly after, as they're setting fruit, Mm -hmm. um, these buds, the embryos in the fruit, the young fruit, are very sensitive to temperature swings. And even some of the literature would suggest that it's not even freezing temperatures, like we would cause uh, crop loss in peach even temperatures in the you know mid 30s uh mm. in conjunction with these these you know going way up into like you know the 80s or upper 70s it's just mm-hmm. really really hard on that, these that's
0: what we do here
1: exactly yeah we're a roller coaster <laughs> yeah, yeah we are a roller yeah coaster. and so they really like a nice consistent climate like california or or you know um mediterranean or something like that okay
0: well you guys are trying some new ones i think you have quite a few right
1: yeah, so we have. I want to say right now it's around 150 different varieties. Okay, um, but let
0: me pause, folks. <laughs> Did you hear that? 150. I didn't even know there were 50 different apricot varieties. All right, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah, so I, I just, you know, I, I, my idea is, you know, we want to, from a genetics um, perspective, we want to cast that net wi- uh, wide. Mm-hmm. You think about, you look at like grapes, you know, the history of grapes in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, if they would have started out, if everyone would have started out with, say, um, Chardonnay, for example. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work because of Pierce's disease and too hot of a climate, other diseases. They say, forget it. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have any grapes in Texas. Mm-hmm. But they kept looking at other varieties. Um, and so kind of looking at the same approach here with apricot. But uh, basically what I did is I... I requested uh, budwood of everything that uh, the repository in Davis, California had that was a variety okay. or a cultivar, uh, more correctly. Um, if it was some wild type or breeding material, I said no, I had to draw mm-hmm. the line somewhere. And then any anyone that I could get from a nursery uh, that we haven't really looked at in Texas, I would buy a tree, get budwood off of it, and we're gonna be, once these trees are, are finished, um, we're budding and growing these. Uh, they'll be planted out at about four locations around the state.
0: Good. That's good. Good information. Yeah, and <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot of cultivars.
1: Yeah, the hope is that some of these like, you know, we have ones like and I'm going to butcher this, but Paznotsvetusty from Ukraine. You can uh, say whatever
0: and, you want and we'll just assume it's right <laughs> cuz no, no one stands here to correct you except some, perhaps some Ukrainian
1: listeners. Well, one of my favorite ones is kar- Karma Tush, but you know, the idea is <laughs> hey <laughs> you know, good chance that some of these will ha- will be better adapted than the five or six that we're typically growing in Texas. Yeah,
0: what do we got? Blenheim and what are some of the Blenheim, other Blenheim,
1: common... Tisdale, Moore Park, um, you know, yeah. ones, ones like that that are pretty. Uh, Brian is another common yeah. one, and so yeah. Okay. Well, we're that's also cool. the other thing we're doing is uh, we're trialing these under high tunnel greenhouses too.
0: Oh. We okay. actually have
1: a grower, a uh, very innovative grower, Russ Baker out in, in Gillespie County, who has several trees under high tunnel uh, where they're, you know, just kind of take the edge off that cold mm-hmm. in the spring. And he's had, I think, three consecutive, I don't want to jinx them, but three consecutive good crops of Blenheim apricot. Okay. Because so of we're the high also- tunnel. Because of the high tunnel, yeah. Because of that temperature
0: fluctuation thing? Yeah, you're kind
1: of? of, you know, if you look at someone's EKG after they just ran a marathon, it's mm-hmm. kind of like if you, those <laughs> those uh, lower dips, if you could kind of curb those just a little bit where mm-hmm. you're not going as low, mm-hmm. um, just taking the edge off of some, kind of buffer it a little bit.
0: Okay. Wow, that's that's interesting. I think of an apricot as a pretty big tree. Uh, so uh, you can fit them in a high tunnel. I guess you just have to prune them
1: pretty Yeah, good. a little different training system, yeah, yeah. Definitely high density.
0: Okay. Well, cool, that apricots is good. Uh, you know, you've done a lot with figs too. Uh, you know, right now the standard for us is Alma here. Uh, and uh, I've seen good success in this part of Texas with the uh, LSU Gold, LSU Purple figs. Uh, then we've got Celeste, which uh-huh. is a good one. Um, but you guys are looking at some figs too. Tell me about that project.
1: Yeah. Well, first thing I want to say is is I haven't done that much personally with figs. Okay. I, I, do, do want to, I don't want to take take well, credit that's undeserved. I'm, I'm
0: asking you the question for the department. Okay. Okay.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, we're taking uh, stuff that I know Jim Comas out in Fredericksburg. He's done a lot of work with figs, evaluating them. Um, my friend Dr. Dave Creech at SFA. Um, he has a collection of, I want to say, over 70 different varieties. Of course he does. Uh, yeah. He he loves collecting <laughs> stuff, too, like post stamp, postage stamps, I think is what phrase he uses. Um, but anyway, uh, I've propagated his collection, and then we've gotten some new stuff in from the repository, the USDA pro, uh, repository in California. And so okay. we may be around 100 or so. Of course, there are many more out there. Yeah. Um, but one of the things we're really doing right now that we're really interested in is testing um, a select. We've got about 12 varieties that we're gonna we're gonna test um, under simulated freeze stress. Okay. So basically, the idea is to take you know we we uh, install planting. Half of the plants we actually cut to the ground. We let them get established for a few years, but we uh-huh. cut them to the ground every winter after that. So we're simulating a you know. Uh, a, a Winter Storm Erie 2021 kind of hard freeze. Mm-hmm. And we know that some of these varieties, LSU Purple, Brown Turkey, uh, reportedly Magnolia also uh, are able to grow back and produce a good crop mm-hmm. on that, you know, very precociously on that, on that new wood. Mm-hmm. Whereas you do that to a Celeste and usually... Right. You're right. not going to get anything for a couple years at least.
0: What, I guess we call that a breba crop or what is the breba crop on figs? Is... So,
1: so the, the breba or breba crop, um, and, and I don't, I feel like I haven't really seen that many of them here, but that would be uh, what's on the old wood. And so you actually have, um, you actually have some buds that are already there, even mm-hmm. some really tiny fruit mm-hmm. and those carry through the winter in a mild climate. So you get an early crop out at of er- that, Exactly. Yeah. And then good. what they call the main crop—that's um, produced on on the new growth. Okay, yeah. good.
0: That's good. Yeah, figs are an easy one. You know, the Gulf Coast used to have a huge fig industry yeah. down in the Blacklands that is now rice country in a lot of lot of those areas.
1: Yeah, I want to say like south of Houston, uh, I believe it was Galveston County, somewhere around sixteen thousand acres. Lots and lots yeah, of figs. Mostly magnolias, yeah. but they were and I growing. I
0: think a freeze in the fifties, maybe kind of put it in or a series of phrases put it put an end to that I believe
1: yeah and I think already 1900 they had around 1900 they had a bad one too oh, okay yeah
0: Well, well maybe well before the 50s then. well figs are figs are fun they're easy to grow uh, they they have a couple of challenges mm-hmm. I, uh, nematodes are a problem with them so if you have sandy soil you might might be dealing with that uh, but uh, also the if those are, those of you who are listening who might be interested in planting a fig one of the key things we look for in a variety is does the eye open yes. or is the eye closed or is there a drop of resin in it because if the eyes opened you, it's just going to become a fermented little wasp beer joint on the yeah. tree and it'll be sour and nasty pickled, and,
1: pickled figs yeah. pickled uh yeah yeah
0: so we look for that it seems like magnolia may be an open eye i don't know it's not an expert on figs, by any means. I mean, I
1: believe it is. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it. Yeah. But Celeste definitely is not. Yeah. Uh, and of course, like you're talking about, Alma mm-hmm. produces that resin that seals mm-hmm. it off.
0: Yeah, cool. That is nice. Uh, so, on when it comes to figs, another challenge we have is the the uh, rust fungus. You know, figs just don't have a lot of disease issues that are. Concerning uh, to worry about, but boy, rust will defoliate those things. I had a call the other day. Someone sent me a picture of their figs, and it was just rust all Already? over the leaves. Yeah, wow. spots all over. I mean, it wasn't fully defoliating, but it was getting started. What if their water,
1: it. if it was getting hit by a sprinkler irrigation or something. That's or? a good question. Yeah. yeah, it may
0: well have been. It may well have been.
1: Yeah, I've, I've even seen in years like twenty seventeen. Hur- we had Hurricane uh, uh, Harvey. Um, the trees got hit really hard with rust after all of that rain Mm -hmm. and then lost their leaves and then they responded with new growth. Well, Mm -hmm. they were growing full throttle into late fall and then they got hurt more by the freeze, actually. Uh So that's kind of another secondary thing that can happen.
0: Mm, That's true. Hey, uh, if you're listening today, which if you hear me, you are, we are coming to you by tape. Normally, we're a call-in show, but today we are coming by tape. And we are fortunate to have Dr. Tim Hartman, who is Assistant Professor and Extension Fruit Specialist with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension uh, here in College Station in the Horticulture Department. And we're picking his brain on all kinds of things fruit today. Uh, I know, Tim, one of uh, another one of the crops that I would say is never been like top of the list of popular Texas crops is persimmons. Uh-huh. Uh, we've always had persimmons, a handful of varieties, you know, 20th century. And, and what what is the, uh, gosh, I can't even say the name of Tamapan. Uh, I, I grew been, up on Tamapan. Did you? Yeah. There's several common ones. Eureka. But I believe you found a persimmon or two to add to the list of things to test, right? Or you or one of the, I, I should say, someone in the department.
1: Yeah, we've got uh, a trial we're doing down the Brazos River Bottom, and it's kind of just, just more for fun, observational. But, um, and actually, uh, Dr. Justin Shiner, who's a viticulture specialist, but, but also an uh, avid fruit guy, um, this is a project that he and I started on together collecting, I believe it should be somewhere around 70 different varieties mm-hmm. of Asian persimmon. So uh, this is diasporus khaki. So mm-hmm. if you grew up in East Texas or, or kind of the eastern U.S. Uh, at large, mm-hmm. and you're maybe getting mixed up with those orange uh, native persimmons, those are good. And there actually is a small industry in Kentucky based off of the pulp there? from that fruit. Okay. But these are large fruit. We're talking, I mean, some of these can be, you know, third of a pound mm-hmm. uh, or large or very large. Um, they're seedless. They don't have have any seed and there are many non-astringent varieties uh, where, basically, uh, before they get soft, they actually lose those tannins, those very that uh, makes them really astringent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even eat the skin on them, so they're they're wow. crunchy like an apple. You can eat the skin and everything.
0: That's that's amazing. Uh, I worked in Missouri for three years, and I used to drive down the country roads and pick the diaspora Vir- Virginiana mm-hmm. uh, and just put them on the dash of the pickup in a in a uh, shoebox that I had, or on the seat of the pickup, rather, tasty. and just carry them around with me. And when they got totally just becoming a sack of jelly about to leak all over the place, that was the time to eat them. Uh-huh. I've heard that if you put them in a freezer overnight and then take them out, uh, do that once or twice, that it, it will help break down astringency? Is do you know if there's any truth to that?
1: I've heard that helps them ripen. Mm. Um, I don't know about the astringency. I know, I'm trying to remember, there is a, a treatment. Uh, I believe they do it in Italy, I want to say, um, or was it Spain? But there's a gas they'll actually expose them to that can cause the astringent varieties to lose their astringency. It's not
0: ethylene? Or...
1: No, it's not ethylene. I'm trying to remember what it, what it is. Huh. But anyway. Well, there you
0: go. Well, I, I tell you, I understand the interest in the non- astringent but in my opinion the astringent types seem to have better flavor yeah, as, a, as a general group
1: I think it's a richer more uh, complex just a yeah. just a more intense flavor
0: I think we ought to have more persimmons around here I mean it from a landscape standpoint uh, what fruit do you have that is ripening in October you know in the fall and and it just looks like orange ornaments orange pumpkins all over out the there. tree. Yeah, a little orange. A good fall color on the yeah. plants, which is hard to come yeah. by in
1: Brazos County. Hot pink and orange leaves. Yeah, and, yeah. Really
0: really attractive. And uh I just think they're good. Uh, but I like the I like the astringents. The not mm. I don't like astringency, but I love those astringents. I the way I tell people to eat an astringent persimmon is to let it get so ripe and soft that you're afraid it's gonna burst in your hand as uh-huh. you carry it. Get in the bathtub and have your significant other hand you the persimmon, there you go. and then you can eat it. And then it's dripping off your elbows, and you're just ready to clean up right there. It's.
1: Sounds like something Dr. Jerry Parsons would say. Oh yeah. my gosh! Oh my gosh! But no, it's it's, abs- gonna wake up it's absolutely true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: It they're a mess, but oh my gosh, they're a good mess. And uh, persimmon bread, and you know when it comes to holiday baking, man, they're great. Mm-hmm. And again. Uh, Diseases, uh, not a lot of things you need to spray for on persimmons, whether it comes to insects or foliage disease. I've seen leaf spots on them, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to...
1: There is a boar. There is a clear-wing boar that's closely related to the greater peach tree boar that okay. will attack the Virginiana rootstock. So we graft the, the Asian species onto the American persimmon because it has very good roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and that borer will sometimes on younger trees it can cause big problems, and then older kind of declining trees, mm. it'll actually bore from the graft union or base all the way down into the tap root. And I've well, seen them, I've seen them kill some trees. Wow, that's interesting. But otherwise, usually not a, not a big deal. Uh huh.
0: That's good. Well, again, 70 plus cultivars of persimmons. I, I can't wait till you know years down the line. That's one thing about doing fruit research is it's not like you know, cotton where you plant it this year, yeah. and at the end of the year, you got your answers as to how it's producing or whatever. It's like you wait a long time to find out whether it's worth having or not.
1: We'll have lots of persimmons to get rid of, too, <laughs> that, well, I, with 300 I, trees. I, I can really <laughs> help
0: you with that. I, I know somebody who eats persimmons.
1: <laughs> that sounds good. We'll take you up on that. Uh,
0: another uh, not-so-common but probably somewhat familiar uh, fruit is the pomegranate, and uh, my whole Extension career, there was Wonderful, and what was the other one? Uh, I can't think of the other variety, but Wonderful was kind of the main one that we talked. Was it Fleischman? Is that a pomegranate? I think. Anyway. i with that one. Okay. Well, I may be dreaming that one,
1: but uh,
0: th- there just wasn't a lot of options. Uh-huh. But uh, again, the, the uh, pomology or the fruit group from Extension Horticulture is looking at a lot of things. So talk a little about pomegranates and where we are with that in Texas.
1: Yeah, um, so pomegranate, uh, Dr. Larry Stein out in Uvalde and, and Jim Comas in Fredericksburg, they collected, I don't know how many it was total, but it was it was several dozen actually from the mm-hmm. repository. Uh, of course, this is a crop that's native to the Middle East, uh, Southern Asia, and um, they trialed them and they were looking at cold hardiness. They were looking a lot at some of the soft-seeded varieties like sunbar, um, you know, ones that are a little more palatable, easier to eat, looking for color. But it turned out the pomegranates, we can grow the plant, but getting good quality fruit is, has been proven quite difficult.
0: Especially uh, east of 35 where it rains more, more so than in a dri- little bit drier climate?
1: Well, it seems like even, I know Fredericksburg, uh, they oh. had some major problems. Okay. And, and the big, you know, they'll get sunscald. There are some cosmetic um you know pathogens that afflict the skin. Um, of course, okay. if I'm a homeowner, I don't care what it looks like as no. long as it tastes good. It can be as ugly as sin, but yeah. it tastes good, and, then...
0: and if you 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 do have light switches, you can turn off the light and there it tastes you great. Yeah. You don't have to look at it. There you go.
1: We're, we're talking about eating fruit, and so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. But uh, the one major problem there is a a new fungal path new. It's a fungal pathogen that was just several years ago that was. Um, it was identified, and I believe they may have re, uh, reclassified it, but it was an alternaria. And basically what it does is you can have an otherwise perfect-looking fruit, mm-hmm. but you open it up in those little juice, uh, sacks full of juice and seed that we call arils, mm-hmm. they will be, half or all of them would be brown and rotten and oh, completely wow. inedible. And the problem is you can't tell unless you open Until them. Until you open it. Um, and I know Dr. Stein had done some work. He had done an efficacy trial with fungicides. Uh, they had tried all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I don't think they tried bagging the fruit, uh, which, of course, can be used for peaches to keep brown rod and plum curculio off. So that, that may possibly be an option. Uh, but this, this uh, heart rot, you know, it, it can wipe out your entire, your entire yeah. crop.
0: So it sounds like uh, maybe with pomegranates, we're not really close to having a pomegranate industry here, but maybe for a backyard tree here and there, I don't know, do we even have sprays to fight those kind of diseases, or are we just up a creek?
1: There really isn't isn't anything labeled for it, to my okay. knowledge, or especially anything that works. But, you know, you have, there's some that have shown some promise, uh, Purple Heart, Salovatsky. Um, Salovatsky is a very cold-hearty plant. I know all of my pomegranates, mm-hmm. I have about 20 different ones at home. They all froze to the ground this past winter, kind of like the crepe myrtles did around Mm -hmm. here with that very...
0: um, Unprepared for a phrase.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, But uh, Salavats came through fine. Of course, it does get heart rot. There is one called Austin. It's just a chance seedling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone brought it over from the Middle East. And uh, anyway, it's not a nice deep red color, but it's kind of a pinkish white. It's not... You know, not too exciting, but it's the only one that doesn't appear to really have that heart rot problem. That's good. However, it doesn't seem to have that much cold hardiness either. I know Uh, for me it breaks bud early and can get frozen back pretty easily. So...
0: Well, that's good news. You know, one one thing about these trials, you know, we're talking about getting out there and trying new things and playing around and sometimes it's research, sometimes it's just let's plant and let's watch and Mm -hmm. learn
1: learn a Uh, lot like that.
0: But the good thing is, even if you determine after a study that 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 doesn't work here and here's why, well, you've you've saved a lot of folks because there's always somebody who wants to go put it in an orchard of something. Yes. Who, you know, they've heard about this new thing and they want to, you know, that happened with lavender in Texas. Uh, That's not an orchard, but we got huge lavender the, farms.
1: I'm from the lavender capital of Texas, Blanco. Blanco, yeah, Texas, yeah. yeah.
0: And, you know, even out in Blanco, I've been in some fields where there's huge sections where the rot, rot has killed some plants. And mm-hmm. we're just not quite that Mediterranean uh, climate, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, but that's not to say no one can grow lavender because people are doing it. But uh, it, it does help to know the the challenges. What you're up against, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause in, uh, and I'm not... I guess I'm talking to people listening because you know, you know all this and more. But uh, when you invest in a fruit orchard, you're putting a lot of money down up front. Oh, yeah. And then you're having to wait years with all the input and the care and the expenses for that crop to come in. Mm-hmm. And I, I planted a peach orchard one time up in Willis, Texas. It was a small one, but, you know, it was a going to be a pick-your-own uh-huh. thing and we it took three years to get up to where we'd get a few fruit and the third year and the fourth year both it froze and Mm. killed took the crop out wow so it's five years after i invested in irrigation and soil prep and purchased plants and took care of plants
1: you You finally started to
0: you know it's kind of a it's it's not a walk in the clouds as as the movie (laughs) for vineyards uh, says uh you know one thing I, this is getting off fruit bo- into nuts, so I guess it's okay, too. But I, I may have told you this before. There there used to be an, a publication, and it was either, I think it was Arkansas. It could have been Kansas, but it, just not quite pecan country, you know, a little further up there. Uh-huh. And uh, there was an official extension publication that talked about planting pecans. And that you talk about investing your money and waiting. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. that's, what, tw- 20 years or something before you're... Well, anyway, at the end of the publication, it said, so if you're thinking about putting in a pecan orchard in whatever state this was, it says, I recommend you take your money and go to Las Vegas and stay there until every penny is gone, because at least that way you'll have the memory of a good time. Oh, wow. <laughs> is that is that truth? In a you can't write that stuff anymore.
1: <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty good. No. I thought you were going to say take your money and burn it or something no.
0: like that. No, no. It was... Uh, there's a lot of truth in that humorous statement. There. Yeah.
1: All right, let's uh you No, know, there's there's also the journey too, you know, it's not just the destination, but that's it. yeah, when you're when you're taking your money and trying to putting your livelihood at stake, yeah, on a large scale, it's yep. a totally different thing.
0: Well, we than just you know, your backyard. We have a lot of great pecan areas around Texas that where it where it does very well and uh, but whenever you take a crop outside of its best zone, mm-hmm things get a little weird you know that it becomes a little more iffy. Uh, Pineapple guava Mm -hmm. now I bet a lot of the listeners don't even know what a pineapple guava is so why don't you tell us a little bit about that and some of the things you've been looking at and the results you've had because we've had some doozy freezes to deal with.
1: Okay so pineapple guava is um, to me it kind of it's a large evergreen shrub small tree it can be kind of a multi-trunk small tree um, about the size of maybe like a Texas mountain laurel or something like that um, kind of a silvery grayish uh, green foliage I think they're pretty pretty attractive uh, late spring they produce these these beautiful uh, pink edible flowers they're actually edible with very showy red stamens um, we use them a lot actually as uh, as a Know green meatball kind of plant, mm-hmm. um, you know, is a evergreen shrub. I know there's yep. some planted just across the road over here uh, near the hotel and conference center. Um, but of course, as the name would suggest, they do produce fruit. Uh, most of the ones it's fact, not a, would,
0: not a true guava.
1: Oh yes, yes, that's yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, I do want to mention that it is not a true guava. It's mm-hmm. it's a distant cousin, mm-hmm. but it, it is a. It is a fruit that resembles a guava. It has that persistent calyx that, you know, that funny-looking thing at the end, um,
0: somewhat like an apple. Uh, yeah, and on the end.
1: Yeah, it's got that it's got that inferior ovary and everything mm-hmm. where it's yeah, you have that kind of floral remnant there mm-hmm. and um, and the fruit if you've never had one, it's it's interesting. It's they're kind of the, the skin remained green on most cultivars. Um, cut it open, it'll be anywhere from kind of a cream, a greenish-whitish to a kind of a uh, pinkish tan color, depending on the cultivar. Uh, very, very reminiscent of pineapple. Some people say some hints of mint and pear in there, and it's very gritty, though, like a tropical guava, hmm. like a Cidium guajava. Um, now, I do want to mention that I, I would be willing to bet every plant that you'd get in a nursery here in Texas is going to be grown from seed, so you don't know what you're getting. Oh, from, hi- seed. Okay. from seed. Seed, yeah. yeah. Easy from seed. They're highly heterozygous, um, though, and so that means you don't know what you're going to get. It's like Forrest Gump and box of chocolates. You know, you you don't know until you you open it up. You, in other words, you you try the fruit. Uh, and so to get the varieties that have the really good fruit, we have to clonely propagate those.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And you've been looking at some. Uh, about how many have you looked at? And I think they're being looked at. Like up a D- creatures looking at some, and so. What, how many have you looked at, and what have, what have been the results? Because I think the the freezes
1: have yeah, yeah it's a, it's been it's a definitely challenge. been challenging. Yeah, so I think we're at around thirty eight or so different name okay. cultivars here. Um, Dr. Creech and I are working together on uh, we're we're partners in crime on a grant funded project. And I, I do want to mention that most of these projects were made available uh, through a Texas Department of Agriculture specialty crop. Uh, Special Crops Block Grant, mm-hmm. that has really allowed us to do a lot of what we're doing, uh, including this project. But basically, we're trialing them. We're looking at, at the mm-hmm. fruit. Um, this is a crop that produces, it's late to bloom, late to set, late to ripen. and mm. So uh, they can go into des- December even, and the really? fruit will freeze. So one of the things we're looking for is early ripening. Okay. Um, so varieties like Apollo, for example, uh, comes off early. I want to say Nicotas is a little bit... A little bit earlier too um, so we're looking at that obviously fruit size bigger yep. is always better yeah flavor um, but of course cold hardiness because mm-hmm. this is a crop that is it's I would say it's marginally cold hardy here mm
0: mm-hmm. the, the the pineapple guavas I've seen that are just that straight runs of seeds who knows what they are uh, you know they're not a lot bigger than your thumb I mean they're, they're a little bit but uh, the ones, Some of the ones, like if you go to New Zealand, where they really oh, go into
1: breeding programs, how big are those? Uh, oh, some of these things will be, you know, uh, probably 200, 250 grams or something. Which I mean, is like... A, we're, we're talking, well, I, put in perspective... Are we talking
0: about an egg, maybe? A, a chicken a egg? A very or?
1: large egg. <laughs> okay. I know when I was in New Zealand studying golden kiwi fruit, some of these fruit were actually the size or larger than the golden kiwi fruit, which is uh-huh. already pretty big. Mm-hmm. Now, I... I I would be lying if I didn't tell you that there's definitely an environmental impact too. That's a perfect climate; they are going to achieve larger size fruit mm-hmm. there. But there's a genetic component too. Okay.
0: Now, now you found uh, the, that cold hardiness is definitely a factor uh, in our zone here. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, how hardy are they? Uh, you know, any tips for someone who wanted to try to
1: grow one? Mm-hmm. So if you look in the literature, they'll be usually rated at about 10 to 15 degrees, and that's maximum cold hardiness. So assuming they're dormant, full-grown plant uh, mature, they can take that kind of cold. I know in 2021, when we went down to 6 degrees Fahrenheit, I had some pull through that were unprotected. Some of them froze to the ground. Uh, Of course, most of these are grafted. So whenever you have a grafted plant that is grafted above ground and it freezes to the ground... You're left with just your rootstock, like many people are seeing with like their Meyer lemons. Mm-hmm. They just have, you know, they're just a trifoliate orange mm-hmm. uh, understock now. Um, but but we've 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 seen some differences between varieties, and and even as far as fruit size and flavor too. Mm-hmm. I I had my class taste them and rate them and all that last fall. We had okay. some fruit.
0: They they are actually good. They yeah. are good. Uh, but yeah, that freeze. This December that you referred to it earlier as a problem with the crepe myrtles that weren't mm-hmm. ready. It's it was interesting. It's always interesting when we have an unusual weather event to see how things are affected. We had a super low chill year, one year. I mean, really low chill, and I didn't know this, but the Chinese pistache did yeah. not leave out, leaf out. And that's really, a shade tree, mm-hmm. and I'd never you know driving along the golf course on George Bush Avenue here, uh, it was like. Looked wow. like they were dead. I'd, I'd never seen it, but we'd never had that kind of situation, right. or at least I hadn't noticed it. Well, the pineapple guava is it can be a challenge, and and I I know that it's very difficult to root from cuttings. And oh, I, yeah. you and I've talked about that. We have a mutual friend down, I think El Campo area, kind of that direction, who, who is an expert on propagating, and he is still trying to figure it out, trying to find the secret sauce to to root them. Because like you said, if you do a seedling. Well, then it's, you know, whose kids are identical to mom or dad? Exactly. That, they never are, unless they, unless they misbehave. <laughs> and I found that that's usually pointed toward being identical to dad on ah. in my house. <laughs> so, seriously, though. Uh, so if we can't root cutting, you can do the grafting, but that makes for a more expensive plant. And then mm-hmm. you have the issue, as you said. Cold with hardiness. Cold hardiness, yeah. Uh, but it, it is kind of cool. You know, people are into things in their landscapes that wouldn't fly at all commercially mm-hmm. uh, but in home landscape
1: i mean my uh, gosh a little it, more latitude there if you
0: want to see someone grow something tell them they can't
1: exactly uh, yeah <laughs> nothing will, more empowering you will
0: have i have an air conditioning uh, conditioner out there around a glass house uh, proving that skip was wrong that colorado <laughs> blue spruce won't grow here uh-huh. <laughs> so but the pineapple guava i i have hopes for that one i think in time we're, we're gonna see it and because it like the like the uh, persimmon, it would be a great ornamentable. Oh, it would be a great uh, what do you call it uh, edible landscaping
1: yeah. uh, kind it's of plant. Pretty low input too. It doesn't mm-hmm. really have a lot of disease or pest issues either.
0: Even the bark, the way the bark exfoliates, mm-hmm. is, if you print it into a mini tree, I think it's really attractive. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Very flaky bark. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do have a master student who right now is doing most of her thesis work on trying to improve cutting efficiency because mm-hmm. you can get a few cuttings to root, but it's nowhere near commercially feasible for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, commercial uh, nursery operation. So we're trying to do some different things, some kind of thinking outside of the box techniques. And mm-hmm. she just stuck the cuttings a couple weeks ago. So stay yeah. tuned. We'll, we'll see what we find. There you but, go.
0: Well, you know, earlier you were talking uh, about apricots and about the fluctuations in temperature, like in spring, that they have to go through. Uh, we also have that weird fluctuations as we go into fall. And that's what caught our crepe myrtles unprepared last mm-hmm. year and uh, pineapple guavas. And so it's, it is a challenge finding things that grow here that, mm-hmm. with that kind of environment we have.
1: Yeah, we're consistently inconsistent there our weather are. here.
0: I like that. <laughs> I may steal that one. from <laughs> Okay, well, here comes another crop. Uh, everybody knows what a kiwi fruit is. It's a brown, fuzzy thing, green on the inside, uh, from New Zealand. Uh, you know about other kinds of kiwi. Will you talk a little bit about the kiwi world and what's out there, and some of the things you guys have learned as you've tried some things here in Nacogdoches and other places?
1: Yeah, so you know, go for the gold. That's what everyone's interested in—the okay. golden kiwi fruit. Different species. That's what I did my uh, doctoral research on. And I think between us, Dr. Creech and I have around 15, 20 gold and about 30 green cultivars that we're looking at. Um, it's a vine, large vine, think wisteria, okay. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't climb via twining um, uh, tendrils like a grapevine. It just wraps around. so very, very. Very large plant, it's like a wisteria on steroids, uh, where it's happy. That is, it is deciduous, loses its leaves. Um, But I mentioned it's got to be where it's happy. It does like acidic soil, so it's not quite a blueberry, um, but it it is more like a muscadine uh, in the sense that it does need soil that's below seven, a well drained soil. So Mm -hmm. it loves East Texas in that respect, needs good quality water. Uh, So, sodium. Water with high sodium is not a good thing for it. Um, the biggest challenge to kiwi fruit, though, from from what we've found, is actually, and, and I was actually just going to mention when you were talking about, you know, these these freezes that really don't come with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hardening off. Uh, kiwi fruit when they're young, especially, are extremely sus- susceptible to fall freezes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what's interesting is you can have a young plant can get frozen. You know, 27 degrees will kill it to the ground if it's a young plant in November, whereas you can have, and I've seen this uh, personally, you know, an older mature plant can take, you know, six degrees Fahrenheit, even, really? even below zero sometimes uh, if it's later in the winter when it's fully dormant okay. and it's an older plant. Well, an older, so yeah,
0: just, By older, you mean like five years or, or what?
1: That, well, that's something we've been talking about, kind of going back and forth, but at least three, probably four or five, ideally, but I would say somewhere around there, three to five okay. years. Once it can achieve that size, and of course, it's got to have that permanent structure. It does fruit on that previous year's uh, wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get that permanent structure, it seems like, i got to be careful what I say here, yep, but yep. give false hope, but it seems like you're, I don't want to say home free, but it's much, much more cold hardy much. if you can just get it past those first three or four years. There is
0: something called uh, the hardy kiwi, uh-huh. uh, Actinidia arguta, uh-huh. or is yep. that it? Uh, but they're a little small, they're slick, and it's just a different monster. But it, it also doesn't just get real happy about being here.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's a, that's an interesting one. And, and, of course, if you ever go to the store and find them there in, in kind of early fall, man, they're expensive, and they're, and they're tasty little critters. Um, and, and as the name would suggest, they're very cold-hardy, but they cannot stand the heat. Uh-huh. We have, or I should say had, about 25 varieties at our research farm. And we just got finished a couple weeks ago putting a light shade cloth over them. Okay. And we've already lost some from the heat. I mean, they just, really? they don't like the heat. And ironically, we've had them killed by the fall freezes just because they weren't acclimated. They weren't ready. So and even would those. would that be, I
0: think... Actinidia kolomikta, is mm-hmm. that another one of the hardy?
1: The... Yeah, it's another species. I and the only one that I'm familiar with that you really see commercially is the, um, oh gosh, it's the variegated one, Arctic Beauty, I think is what they oh, call. Okay. It, yeah. Worn an ornamental. We had a few kolomikta, and they, they they died the first summer we had them. Okay. But but maybe under you know a shade uh, tree, you know some light shade, especially afternoon shade. Um, they don't seem to be as picky about soil pH either as mm-hmm. the green or the gold species.
0: Okay. Well, the the golden, uh, you actually gave me some of those to try, and they're really good. So tell our listeners a little bit about the difference between the standard kiwi, again, fuzzy brown, uh-huh. green on the inside, and then the, the golden kiwi when it comes to flavor or taste or what you do and don't eat on the fruit. <laughs>
1: So yeah, uh, the, the golden kiwi fruit is—it's obviously the name would suggest they're generally more of a yellow color. Sometimes they're more of a greenish yellow, uh, whereas the uh, the green kiwi fruit or fuzzy kiwi fruit obviously is green. The fuzzy kiwi fruit also has these really huge, as you know, these really long trichomes. So it's kind of like imagine biting into something with Velcro or the cover of a tennis ball. There you go. Um, I don't mind it too much i know my colleague monty nesbit uh loves the skin in fact when i would peel Wait mine he would eat just the skin straight um but you know most people most people don't elect to eat the skin whereas on the golden kiwi fruit it's not it has very little fuzz or, or none at all and so you know generally about half the people are okay with eating eating the skin as far as flavor the gold just uh it tends to have a more i would say a more f- uh complex flavor profile mm-hmm. uh more tropical tasting it's not just your sugar and, and acid um and of course they're loaded with with uh, antioxidants and, mm-hmm. and and other other uh phytochemicals very very healthy too
0: seems like what we need for these golden kiwis is rather than getting them right up on a trellis uh is just a. Sort of have something that goes up a post and just kind of cascades over, umbrella-like,
1: you know. Almost like you do with the dragon fruit or like, something. Yeah, or
0: like a weeping um, uh, weeping redbud kind yeah. of thing. And then you would just get a arches of PVC dome, cover it, put a little warmth underneath it, get you through the first few years, and then cut it back and then go to the trellis. I wonder if that would work.
1: Well... Yeah, you mentioned that we actually put in, and I know some of the plants are still alive. A year or two ago, we put in a trial uh, with Cooper Farms in Fairfield mm-hmm. under uh, under we'll call it a high tunnel, basically a, a to- old tomato greenhouse where it could be covered. Mm-hmm. But we had some issues with getting them established because it was this was actually last summer. Of course, not a good time to try to establish a plant. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, there there may be some potential there with that.
0: Hmm. Well, that's all that's all really interesting. Well, we've covered a lot of strange kinds of fruit and things. If you those of you listening if you go online to Aggie Horticulture website, it's aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu. Uh, there's a section on fruit and there is a publication for everything you can imagine and then there's a publication on how to grow avocados in mm-hmm. there and and uh, I think uh, you guys are, are starting the process of going back through those and saying, how do we update it? Uh, you know, what new varieties or changes might be needed? Can uh, you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Uh, yeah, so that's one of our, our summer assignments is to get these updated. Um, they were done before my time. Uh, I want to say in 2015, maybe some in 2012, and so updating them with, you know, we've New new pest issues, maybe new varieties that show promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're in the process of doing that. Uh, should be done hopefully by the end of this calendar year. But also adding some new ones. So for example, I'm writing, uh, you know, a new one on on apricot, mm-hmm. uh, kiwi fruit, and pineapple guava. And so okay. just trying to get some. Um, I think. Uh, even elderberry, uh, someone's doing one on elderberry even. So. You know,
0: I've, I've heard of the, about those a lot. I've never grown elderberries before. And all I know, it's, it's just this almost like a perennial thing coming up out of the ground, mm-hmm. straight straight up out of the ground. And I see them in wet areas, like, mm-hmm. like uh, banks of a creek or something like that.
1: I know the place I live at right now, uh, which backs up to the Brazos River, there's some growing down there.
0: Are you going to tell me that there's 70-plus varieties of elderberry somewhere? <laughs>
1: There there may be. I know the USDA repository has a lot. Oh, my gosh. So.
0: This is just. <laughs> uh, okay. That's funny. Well, yeah, elderberries, uh, you know, elderberry wine. I mean, I guess uh, you make a lot of stuff out of the juice. Oh,
1: yeah, jellies and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that is cool. I think that's really helpful to have that kind of stuff. You know, aggie horticulture is loaded, with lots of vegetable resources for the home gardener and lots of fruit resources and nut resources for the home gardener. And it's just a wealth of information. Really, really, really useful. Uh, So tell me a little bit about statewide. Um, what kind of fruit things are going on? I know Russ Wallace up in the High Plains. He st- is he still working with strawberries up there?
1: Still still doing good strawberry work. Lubbock yeah. area. Mm-hmm. And low tunnels and high tunnels, of, you know, protected culture production and has mm-hmm. had, had some really good success with that, uh, identifying varieties that are very well adapted, especially some of the newer varieties. Um, done a lot of good work with that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the pomegranate research is, I, I think, to my understanding, it's its pretty well wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, J.C. Lewis in Fredericksburg is doing some really interesting work with raspberry. And we're talking about Rubus ideus, the actual red, the real red raspberry, not like the Dorman red or Mysore raspberry. Um, she's actually got a few gold cultivars she's looking at. Oh, wow. Um, that's, j-
0: that's a surprise. When I was in Missouri, you could grow... A hundred red raspberries compared to a few gold and very few purple or black caps. They just didn't mm-hmm. do well. I, I would think coming this far south, I'm I'm surprised.
1: Well, and uh, yeah, I think we're all amazed and really excited about it. Um, and just like with the, the so-called hardy kiwi fruit, the issue with raspberry is it just does not take our heat here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to be so much a chilling issue, but more the heat. Um, and so what they're doing is they're trialing these under fifty percent shade. They're looking mm-hmm. at different color, of course, red, white, uh, black shade is going to um, it's going to end up uh, manipulating the wavelength, or we would say the quality of the light, and that's going to have impact on things like uh, shoot internode and all kinds of stuff like uh, internode length and all of that. Uh, but what she's found is that fifty percent shade works pretty well, and she's identified about a half a dozen varieties that seem to, to work pretty well.
0: Okay. And, and these are what we call primocane bearings. See, normally, with for those of you listening, uh, with blackberries and raspberries, the, the cane grows one year as a primocane, and then the second year it fruits as a floricane, and then it dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now with blackberries and now raspberries, we have the primocane bearing. So the same year it grows, it fruits at the toward the end of the season.
1: Yeah, and I think with raspberries they, they usually refer to them as, as ever-bearing, but yeah, it's exactly the same thing, primocane fruiting. Um, and so what what they have elected to do is actually removing the floricanes, so getting rid of that, that early crop, that main crop, uh, letting them start over with all new primocanes and then harvesting uh, later in the summer is what they've actually it, done. That's
0: interesting. I worked with a grower when I was in Missouri uh, working with fruit, and uh, they were doing the shade covering over uh-huh. Heritage, which is a red raspberry. Oh, yeah. It Used to be an old standard. I think we, you guys are probably coming up with much better choices for Texas in, in, in the work in uh, Fredericksburg. Uh, but anyway, they <clears throat> he would uh, he we were trying mowing the whole thing to the ground, mm-hmm. and and so that it, it was only primocanes coming up, and then he had the shade cloth on them. And they were fruiting at a certain node number, and I can't remember what it was, uh, the primocane. And so they would come in and they would hedge the top at a decent height Uh to force side branches to delay the fruiting a little bit later uh, to spread it out. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, kind of interesting Interesting stuff. Well, so I uh, talked about the High Plains, the Lubbock area and Russ Wallace and then in Fredericksburg. Tell me, tell our listeners a little bit. we got about two minutes here. Tell our listeners a little bit about some of the things that are going on fruit-wise. And I know viticulture and grapes is a whole nother world. So I'll, I'll have to get Justin or somebody <laughs> in here on uh, Fran or somebody in here on that one. But uh, tell us just about the fruit things that are being looked at in Fredericksburg.
1: Yeah, I know uh, they've still got uh, G- Jim Comis and J.C. Lewis. They've they're doing some some cool stuff with, with other crops. Uh, they've got a lot of pears they're looking at pear varieties. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they've they've been looking at figs there for a long time. Uh, like I said, pomegranates are pretty well wrapped up. Um, and then I know you know other parts of the state. Um, Stephen Yannick, my colleague down in uh, kind of the southeastern part of the state. Um, Colorado County. He's doing a lot of cool work with growers, Mm -hmm. uh, really trying to support the olive industry down there. Yes, Um, and they've they've really they've learned a lot um, with respect to to yield and cold hardiness for Mm -hmm. some of these these varieties. Uh, Of course, the last couple years have been really tough on olives when you know as far as cold.
0: I know. They they weren't ready for that. I think there may be something somewhat similar to what you're saying on Kiwi is where as the plant gets established, it's a little hardier than when it was young. Is that true?
1: Yeah, it seems to be able to. More thermal mass and just seems to. The other thing is, you know, it's going to have an older root system that can come back at least from a freeze more easily too. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, there's a lot of exciting things going on in the Aggie Horticulture Department and Extension Horticulture across the state. And Tim, it's been wonderful having you come in here. We've been talking with Tim Hartman, Assistant Professor, Extension Fruit Specialist with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulture. And uh, I could keep going, but uh, we're out of time. So thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, uh, I just want to remind you that you can listen to past shows on the KAMU-FM website or by podcast. So if uh, you have a friend who would have really loved to hear this, but they didn't get to, that's how they can go in and they can listen to a past show. Thank you for being a listener. We look forward to talking to you every Thursday from 12 to 1.